welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and and you're listening to episode number 56. Now, this week on the podcast, I am so pleased to be joined by my cousin-in-law, Emma Cranston. So Emma is a marketing guru. She has her own consulting firm in marketing, but she's also launched a fabulous retail product in the UK called Professor Scrubbington. So we talk all about how she does it all. <laughs> Really, truly, you know, how she got into marketing in the first place. She's had some really interesting roles working for Guinness and Diageo on some of those major brands that many of you will have seen in the liquor store. Many of you probably enjoy. And so we talk about what her experience was like in a predominantly male environment in that sort of sales world at the time, how her career grew. We talk about some of her goals in parenting. We also talk about how one develops a retail product from scratch when that is not necessarily your background. I found it a really, really interesting interview. Uh, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. And we are proud to be a sponsor of this year's Pod Summit, Western Canada's podcast conference. So join us May 5th at CKUA in Edmonton for a day of learning and connection making, plus some amazing giveaways. So if you have a podcast, you're going to learn how to make it sound amazing, how to grow your audience and create a show that your listeners will love. If you don't have a podcast, you will learn how to start one and we'll be happy to welcome you to the community. Tickets are just $150 and they are limited, so please don't delay and you can get yours at podsummit.com. Now, I won't be there in person because that will literally be one week away from my due date, but... I've heard such fabulous things from last year's Pod Summit. I've met the creator of Pod Summit. I can only say that it's going to be a fantastic event. And if you can make it, you really, really, truly should. So as today's episode is all about entrepreneurship, I want to tell you a little bit about ATB's Entrepreneur Center, which is a fabulous place to go if you are starting or building a business. Now, of course, they can help you with their banking, but they also offer workshops and networking opportunities, and they can also help get you set up with a mentor. That is the one of the biggest things that you can benefit from in starting any new career is having a mentor and someone who can guide you through it. So I will put all the information for that in today's show notes, which can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash five six for episode 56. Now, Without further ado, let's head over to the interview with Emma. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. So, okay, I want to start off by talking about how you got into this career in marketing and what sparked your interest for it in the first place, because <laughs> as far as I can see, it seems to be a bit of a shared family interest with your brother. Yes, a little bit seems to have become that way. So I did a degree in business and marketing was a part of that, but quite a small part. But during my time at university, I was kind of looking out for like summer placements and work experience. And I got accepted on a two week program by it was Guinness before it became Diageo to kind of work with them on some sort of marketing type issues but it was really just a way of them sort of doing a prolonged interview actually I think of some potential kind of candidates because I did that for two weeks and then they offered me a 12-week summer placement oh great so that was between my second and third year at university which was brilliant loved it such a great place to work and from that they offered me a job there when I graduated and the job was a very traditional kind of sales and marketing role. So you spent six months rotating through a sales placement, a marketing placement, then back into a different area of sales, back into a different area of marketing. And so having done that, I realized that my heart was in marketing, definitely not in sales. So I then kind of pursued a bit more, a marketing career at, at Guinness. So I kind of fell into it a little bit and was just inspired by the brand I was working on and the people I was working with. And I guess my brother comes from a very different place because I've always had a very kind of commercially driven marketing experience and he's come from the not-for-profit sector. So he's been kind of comms director at different charities. So it's been really interesting because actually I think the principles are the same, but it's kind of your end goal that is very different. Yeah, absolutely. So 
if marketing wasn't the end goal going into your degree, then what were you like? Did you have a plan when you started university, or was it just business as yeah. a like Who has a plan? useful? Some shocking yeah. people do, yeah. and then it changes. <laughs> well, that's true. Yes. No, I think I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so business seemed like a good thing because there were lots of different elements to it, and I think it was it was just that fortuitous couple of weeks working for a business um, and ultimately my laziness because they offered me a job. I was <laughs> like, oh, amazing. Like I went into my third year at university with a job. That's at the end, pretty impressive. Which, yeah. Yeah, it was really great. And I, and I went for some other jobs just to kind of suss out what else was out there. But I think it's so great for an employer and the individual to be able to sort of test things out. So I'd spent kind of three months in the business, understanding if I was going to like it. Uh, so it wasn't so much a leap in the dark. They knew me. I knew them a little bit. And culturally, it had been really fun. And it, I'd, it had felt like a great fit. So it seemed like a, you know, a kind of why not? This is such a great opportunity for me. I'm going to yeah. give it a go. Oh, that's great. And so Guinness became, went, came under the umbrella of Diageo? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merged with another business and became Diageo. Yeah. And so the Diageo own, owns or owned a number of alcoholic beverages? Yes, they yeah. own Smirnoff um, and Johnny Walker and Guinness and a number of other kind of spirits brands. So I might be completely wrong here, but just my preconception is that a, mm -hmm. a, an, alcohol, an alcohol company would be predominantly a male environment. Was that the case? I think a beer company definitely is, okay. yes. So being at Guinness was a very male environment. Okay. Um, and there were a few more women in marketing, but certainly my kind of stints in sales, there weren't. And one of my first placements was I had to go and visit um, Irish pubs <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> help them to kind of put in place some of the kind of sales driving activities that kind of the head office had come up with. So it was literally like driving around Irish pubs up and down the country, literally knocking on the door. Hi, I'm from Guinness. And they'd kind of look at me thinking, really? <laughs> You're like a 20 something girl who looks a bit too fresh <laughs> to yeah. be driving around all the pubs. And I found I, that was really hard. I think any kind of sales repping is hard anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, you had, a, you had to do a certain number of calls in a day and it was very results driven and it felt really far out of my comfort zone looking back it was a great experience because it, you have to have so much resilience but at the time it was really hard really hard yeah um and again in the even in the office it was it was a very male environment and all the, the board was you know all men possibly there might have been one hr person who was female but that breeds a different kind of culture yeah which I I liked I kind of learned how to play the game and I didn't mind that I've got two brothers I guess I'm not easy not too easily offended yeah but it is it does build resilience yeah you've got to be quite confident in that kind of environment did it challenge your uh, your view of what was possible because I know a lot of people say if you can't see it like if you can't see someone in that role that looks like you that it's mm. that it's a challenge like if you don't see women in leadership or people of diversity like did that color your experience at all or did you not see that I don't think it did in marketing there were some quite senior women so that was great and I'd come from a school that had well, it was a girls school it was all about girls can do anything so I was I very much had that opinion yeah but if I hadn't then I think you're right there weren't those Certainly not those kind of role models at a very senior level around me. But a, but a lot of, you know, traditionally, I suppose there are women in marketing, perhaps more than some other functions. So I did have some great role models there. And actually the, the kind of chief marketing officer is female and an amazing lady. So there, so there, were, there, were, there was a smattering, but sort of more at the more senior levels, the people around me, particularly in sales, were all men. And that leads to a different kind of culture and mainly drinking environment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> particularly in a beer business yeah so I also studied marketing in university and I had this one experience when I was picking up a textbook at uh, the bookstore 
And the gal was ringing it through. She was another student. And I remember her saying, marketing, isn't that, you know, just trying to sell people things that they don't want? (laughs) So what what would you say to, to someone that would have that opinion of marketing? Or, or marketing's the coloring in department. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I heard too. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a real passionate believer in marketing, I suppose, in its widest form. So I love design and I think design particularly more recently has become so much more important as people have less money to spend and need to stand out more. Mm -hmm. So even just making things look beautiful and making things that people want to buy because it's really clear what the benefit is to you of buying that product. Mm -hmm. I would always think that's important. And I would always say good marketing shouldn't be getting you to buy stuff you don't want. It's making you aware that there are things out there that could maybe make your life easier or enhance your life or give you alternatives or different options. And I don't think it needs to be just about products, you know, great services or even even great people that you want to find out about or, you know, it's not, it's not quite so limited. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being taken, uh, taken aback by that. And I think my response at the time was, I think it's more about finding the right people for the right product and just sort of bringing them together uh, and not about selling people things that they don't want. But that was also like prior to me actually having studied it and going, Oh no, is this what people think of? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. And there is always, there is always that part of it. But I think it's having, you know, there's so many more companies now with actually a better purpose at their heart and trying to do really great things. If you look at somebody like Unilever and come to some of their pledges to kind of be more sustainable and be more green and protect the planet and actually put things like gender diversity at the heart of their business. And actually they're making some quite big societal changes and that's driven by a marketing leader. Yeah. That's the really interesting, exciting stuff because the marketers are the creatives. So yeah. kind of if we can't lead by example, then no one else is going to. Well, it's like the Dove Real Beauty ad adverts. I absolutely adore it. I mean, there's stories that they're telling about yeah. having confidence in your body. And that's, you know, yeah. you never see the product. No, but no. it's about what they stand for. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. So in this modern age of <laughs> ad blockers and, you know, we watch Netflix so we don't have to watch commercials, yes. do you think advertising holds the same power that it once did? No, no. We used to make you know, ads for Guinness. Like I was on the very periphery of the famous kind of surfer ad for Guinness and everybody who you know, vaguely touched that ad claims it was theirs and I'm certainly not claiming that but that was an amazing kind of piece of film that was talked about and everybody a lot of people had seen the reach was amazing I mean yes you had to spend to, to get that but you could still reach those people if you had that kind of money but now it's much harder to do so I think probably done well maybe it has the same power but I don't think it's anywhere near as straightforward as making a TV ad and putting that out. So what do you yeah. do differently now? What's more effective in our in our current climate? <laughs> That's a million dollar question, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on the type of business that you're in. So I've gone from being a client with a budget of millions to a business owner with a budget of pretty much nothing. Yeah. And that drives very different decisions. So social media is really important to us at Scrubbingtons because we've got to be about other people kind of sharing our content to help us kind of spread the word and also because it gives us more of a platform to actually have a conversation and as a small brand that for that's really genuine we actually do want to talk to our customers and find out what they think and beyond the product you know we talk about much larger issues than just washing your kids yeah but as a larger brand, that's uh, just a part of what you do. But I think it's it's the integration. And, you know, I still say that I still think the traditional marketing principles are the same. But I think how you execute them is different and much more prolific in terms of the ways that you can reach people. But what are you going to say and who are you going to say it to and how are you going to say it is still the same. Yeah. It's now the how you say it that is much more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And social media seems such, like, it's so challenging because there's the, 
like what do you consider a good engagement rate and with the whole um and i'm not not looking for an answer to that exactly yeah just well kind of... it's tough yeah because we talked to some of our retailers about that they're quite interested so boots asked me recently what's your engagement versus you know kind of the market and our engagement is massive because our you know our but our reach is quite small mm-hmm. so the people that we do talk to generally are quite engaged with what we have to say but the number of people that we're speaking to because we're not boosting our posts every week yeah isn't isn't that great but actually the retailers are now more interested in the engagement rather than the reach which i think is great because that's what it should be about you know are there people out there who are feeling close to your brand or kind of invested or interested in what you've got to say rather than just mindlessly following you or liking yeah well and do you want the customers that come back time and time again versus the one-offs as i look at my my starbucks cup here that has become my daily addiction (laughs) (laughs) i I would say they have won me over (laughs) they have they have because they can you know they're lucky they have a, a street a street that they can pop up on and kind of trip you over yeah but equally they they kind of multi-layer what they're talking to you about. And I still think that's really important. Yeah. And it might notice something, but it might not register with you. But in another week, they talk to you in a different way and kind of layer everything on top of one another. And then when you're kind of looking for that, then that's when you trip over and go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That could be for me. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and then we'll come back to some stuff. But you you mentioned Scrubbingtons. So for mm. our listeners, what is Scrubbingtons? So Scrubbingtons is a range of natural children's toiletries, all designed for kids to be able to use themselves. So we are for sort of primary school age children, which is kind of three, four-year-olds up to about 11. So I don't know if you have that same primary school definition. Yep. What we noticed is that there were, there's a lot of products on the market um, for babies but then actually when your child starts starting to wash themselves, to wash their own hands, is probably the first thing that they might do. But then maybe not be in the bath anymore and be in the shower, there weren't that many products that actually helped them to be able to wash themselves and sort of empowered kids to be able to do that. And that's kind of one of the basic things that we need to teach our children is what how to wash themselves. Yeah. So we thought about kind of trying to think of all the ways that we could help kids to wash themselves through our products. So that's that's what Scrubbingtons is all about. So how did this come about? Was this just too much shower gel in the bottom of your bathtub? You <laughs> that was part of it, definitely. <laughs> yes. That and bathing my kind of five-year-old son with a product with a picture of a baby on it. I'm thinking, hmm, why am I still using a product with a picture of a baby on it when he's five? And why is he not washing himself? Why am I still doing this? Yeah. And that kind of, I suppose the marketing brain in me kind of pinged off a bit and thought, hmm, maybe there's something else I should be buying and went out to try and find something and there really wasn't very much at all. So um, that's a huge leap though from marketing a product to creating a product. Yes, yes. <laughs> like yeah. what was the thought process in like I'm going to take this on? Well, so first of all, the kind of because latterly I've been doing more kind of marketing consultancy. So I guess the marketing consultant in my head thought, oh, I think there's an opportunity here for somebody. Let me go away and write something and not actually have to do it. Mm-hmm. So let me write about this great opportunity that maybe I should go and see you know, Johnson & Johnson about because they seem like the obvious people and say to them, I think there's an opportunity and perhaps you'd like to use my marketing consulting skills to fill this gap. And then kind of started talking about it with my husband, a couple of other people. And my husband in particular was like, well, you should just do it. Why are you going to go and give them that idea? Mm-hmm. You should have a go. And my immediate thought was, well, that sounds really difficult. Too hard. Not sure I've got time. Um, um, um. And then kind of lived with it for a couple of weeks. And I was sort of thinking about this idea with somebody else who is now my business partner. And we sort of thought, well, 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 we'll keep thinking about it and let's just do the next step and the next step. Let's just take it one step at a time and see how far we get mm-hmm. until either we've got to kind of commit to doing something with this or we've explored it and it's actually not an opportunity. So that's, I suppose, how it moved from being kind of a marketing project to, or well, maybe we should do this ourselves. 
Because I can just imagine, like, it's it's one thing to have the idea, but then to have to actually, like, <laughs> what, like, the ingredients that go into it and how does it actually work and getting yeah. the product made and, like, yeah. it's a huge undertaking it and it was not your full-time job. No, no, no. So I was still running my marketing consultancy then. But I think because we thought there was an opportunity and we were very clear on what we wanted the product to be, finding some of the other things it wasn't easy but it wasn't it's tenacity I think you know mm -hmm. finding a manufacturer we literally we went on Google you know UK health and beauty manufacturers the whole list comes up wow. and we worked our way through the list and you know we only needed small quantities so for many they weren't interested because we were too tiny um, but someone kind of took a took a chance on us um, and they introduced us to a development chemist who could help us actually make the product. And whilst neither of us had like a cosmetics background, we did know what we wanted the product to be like. And I think all those years of writing briefs as a marketeer yeah. to try and get to what you wanted. We wrote a brief. So we were like, well, let's make it really clear. Let's say we'd like it to be like this or the kind of scent that we wanted or how we wanted it to empower children to be able to use it themselves. And just found a great kind of individual that we could work with. And literally, she would post us things. And, you know, these exciting packages would arrive. And we'd mm -hmm. test it out on the kids and go, oh, it's not quite foaming enough. Or the smell isn't quite right. Um, and we really, we said to her, it's got to be 90, at least 98% natural. Because that's kind of where the market is at. Mm -hmm. So she used her expertise to do that. And then we kind of overlaid what we wanted from empowering children onto the top of it. So it was really collaborative and that's been a really great experience actually in actually developing the product. You'd it's, think that would be hard, but it, it, that wasn't the most difficult bit. It's funny because the process is sounding a lot like I've listened to the story of like Sarah Blakely, Blakely from Spanx and like knowing yes. what she wanted and going to manufacturers and sort of mm. that, that it is possible even if you've never manufactured something before, if you've never, like I think a lot of people would see these barriers in their way and just go too hard yeah uh, yes yes but as you said you if you're really clear about what you're trying to achieve even if you don't really know how to get there other people can help you get there you just need to know where you want to get to yeah you are really clear on that so you have your consulting firm you're married yes. you have two kids and you take on scrubbingtons how did you find or make the time? I think like we all struggle with that. We have the same 24 <laughs> hours. Yes. Yes. Like what fell off your list in order? To <laughs> Sleeping. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I think we were, we were realistic in what we could achieve. And it's been quite interesting because I haven't launched this as a, you know, 20 year old with no responsibilities. And I think with that comes maybe less, maybe less fear, maybe more pace, but maybe a bit more naivety. And actually what we've tried to do is turn it into a positive and go, okay, so we're 40 something women with children and responsibilities, but actually we've got a lot of experience mm -hmm. and we've got a load of great contacts of people that can help us. So rather than trying to do absolutely everything ourselves, the reason we kept kind of going with our consultancy was yes, we had to kind of keep a roof over our heads, yep. but also to say, okay, we do really need some help with say sales or putting together a really good forecasting model, which is beyond our Excel capabilities. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pay somebody a day to do that. So trying to be smart about where we could outsource things without saddling ourselves with too much cost. And we've done loads of bartering. So I do some marketing training and I've swapped with a design agency. They kind of did the design for us and I trained some of their marketeers and some, some of their designers in sort of marketing thinking and what clients are up to. So a whole kind of mix of paying for some stuff, bartering with others, and then just a kind of juggling of, of kids and consulting and time is difficult. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly more evening working than, than there ever used to be yeah but do you find that like you enjoy it like it's your like yes. it's a passion it doesn't feel like yeah yeah 
the, the old cliche of it doesn't really feel like a job. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, running the business and the tasks that I have to do on a daily basis still feels a bit like playing. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun. And the people I get to speak to are usually really helpful. It's new. So it's really exciting. The pressure is from the kind of the money, I suppose, the investment mm-hmm. and managing kind of the cash flow of actually kind of keeping the business afloat. That's that's the pressure. Yeah. So what's your goal for it? We want to, we've still got so much, I think, to prove on the brand. We've got loads of innovation ideas. We still got UK retailers that we'd love to talk to. We think there's opportunities in other markets. We'd love to just make a success of this and be able to kind of run this full time mm-hmm. and be able to reach more children and be more of a platform to talk about empowering children beyond kind of washing yeah, and be a kind of force for beyond the product, I think, for kind of marketing to children in a more intelligent way. So really empowering the way that we speak to children and the way that we treat them. Yeah. That's a lofty ambition. (laughs) It's incredible. And I think I've, I think it was either um, for the listeners, uh, you're married to my cousin. (laughs) So (laughs) I I can't remember if it was my uncle that said this, or if it was your husband that said this, but it was that you're thinking like Scrubbington's is your retirement plan kind of thing. (laughs) I think it's his retirement plan. Oh, is it his retirement (laughs) (laughs) plan? Oh, so he's going to retire early, just kick back and... Yeah, I think I think that's his thought. Play that tennis, I'll keep play golf. Yeah. Some sort of style. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I mean there's there's great stories of brands that have kind of come out of nowhere and been snapped up by some amazing kind of multinational player. And if that happens, we would certainly kind of think about it. But actually running your own business and being in charge of your own destiny is also really exciting. Yeah. Well, so, and speaking of that, you decided to launch your own consulting firm. When, mm. What what brought that on? Because you'd worked with such incredible brands, like you're saying, with these huge, huge budgets. And where yes. did the decision come to branch out on your own? So after I worked for kind of various big brands, I worked for a consultancy, which was, loved it, brilliant. I spent five years there. And that really taught me kind of the tools of the consulting trade, if you like. But in that time, I had two children while I was there and realized that running a kind of global client and doing lots of traveling and having to give everything to that job was not going to was not how I want to live my life at that point with two. You know, I think I had a, you know, a one year old and a three year old. Mm -hmm. So thought perhaps I could do this on my own and then maybe I could do a bit less. So kind of took took the leap. Um, they ca- they were amazing and kept me on as a consultant. So it was really it was a really nice way to do it because it wasn't going from I have a job one day to I've got nothing the yeah. next day and I've got to find loads of work. It was I've kind of almost just about got enough work for the money that I need to make to allow me some time to then find my own clients and talk about my own thing. And so after it was probably a year. I broke away completely from that consulting firm and, and kind of did my own thing. Mm-hmm. Do you have other Sorry. consultants working with you or is it a one woman no, shop? No. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much just me. If I get really busy, then I can pull in other people, but that wasn't really my desire. I made that decision and that I wasn't, I wasn't building a consulting business. I was consulting to, for me to do some work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about being any bigger than that. Cause I think that then brings its own, challenges yeah that I didn't really have the headspace for yeah so you've had this consulting firm for quite some time now mm-hmm. yeah how yeah. many years is it uh, five or six I think so what do you what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started I think to back yourself so the owner of the consultancy that I worked with before amazing lady um she went after work even when she didn't know how she was going to do it. Mm-hmm. She was like, get the work and then I'll figure it out. I, you know, I know enough people or I can I kind of back myself that I could figure out an answer. So I try to take that with me. And I think looking back, that has served me quite well. That, you know, say yes <laughs> 
and then work out later how you're going to do it because otherwise you're never going to get 100%. So you're never going to feel totally confident, I think, when you're running your own thing and particularly consulting because it's just you and your time. Mm -hmm. So at some point you've got to make that leap and go, yeah, I can do this because, you know, I've worked in marketing for 15 years and I have worked on some great brands and I've met some great people and learned so much from them that, yeah, I think I, I think I can I think I can give this a go. But feeling comfortable with that slight fear. Mm-hmm. And I think fear actually, I always say, I think fear makes you better. Yeah. So fear that you're not going to get a client or you're not going to make enough money or you're not going to do enough a good enough job uh, or you're not going to stand up in front of people and be good enough on the day. That for me drives me to work harder to yep. make sure that I am delivering the best that I can. Because that's ultimately when you're a consultant, that's what people are paying for. Versus maybe when you're a marketeer and a client, it's a bit more kind of some of the outputs. So I think, I think yeah, backing myself more, feeling the fear and being okay with that. Yeah. But something I say to con- other people who are thinking about going into consultancy is you've got to be really resilient because some months you'll have more work than you know what to do with and other months you could have none. Yeah. And you've got to kind of hold your nerve and think the, the work is going to come. It's going to be fine. I'm talking to enough people that something will turn into a project and kind of chasing down all of that. But it's quite a different skill set to being a marketeer because suddenly you've got to bring in all your kind of sales knowledge and kind of test out some, it's not, not always cold calling, but certainly, you know, pushing yourself and your services. And I find marketeers aren't always that good at that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a combined skill set there is required. It is. Yeah. yeah, it's quite different. It's quite different. So yeah. you've sort of got to feel comfortable with that. Yeah. So possibly this is some free marketing advice, but say someone was <laughs> launching <laughs> a, a small business, could be a service yeah. or a product, like, and they've got such a limited, maybe it's just them, they've got limited time, limited budget for marketing. How do you advise them to focus their marketing efforts? So I would say be really clear about what it is that you stand for and what your kind of proposition is all about and why you're better than anyone else. And if you haven't got those things in your product, you need to build them in or find them. I mean, it's got to be authentic and legitimate. But that was something I learned right at the beginning of my career at Guinness. Like what makes this product different? And that might turn some people off. So there were a lot of people who didn't like Guinness and were never going to drink it. But there were a lot that did. And what were the things that they liked about it? Yeah. And then tell the people about those things and be really single-minded. So a lot of people say, well, I want to talk about the quality and it's a great price. I'm like, no, no, you can only talk about one thing. People only remember one thing. So what is the one thing that you want to plant in their heads? And then keep saying that thing and say it in lots of different ways. But the key message has got to be, Kind of very single-minded because there's so much clutter out there yeah and stand for something it's no longer enough to just have a great product that's kind of the basics what what are you trying to do what's going to make you stand out is it that you're really invested in your local community or in a bigger kind of global trend or you know what kind of change are you trying to bring about in the world or how are you treating your employees in a really great way? And is that what you're trying to do is to build a great kind of business? But what is it that you're trying to do beyond, as you say, <laughs> trying to sell people something they don't want? Because that's that's never, that's just going to, you're starting from a point of failure. Yeah. Well, and like the research just shows like people want to invest in products that have a purpose. Like Tom's Shoes yeah. is just. Yes. Yeah. And it's the same, I I think I read this research as well, it's the same in terms of employees wanting to work for companies that have a purpose in general as well. Yes, 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 definitely, definitely. Something that I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think about when I started my career at Guinness. Yeah. But now I think it's it's really important for people to feel that sense of purpose and joint kind of responsibility and ownership. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a off-topic question but um, I'm not sure what the climate is like in the UK but in Canada uh, we're very much seeing um, the gig economy 
and how, okay. and and I had seen a couple of reports about this as well about how there's less and less people having long-term careers with one company mm-hmm. or there's yeah. less opportunity for that even in the first place that it's a lot more contract work and you know a year here a year there kind of thing is that the same in the UK I think it is yeah. yes yes or well, certainly to what we're moving towards and I don't know if that I think that's partly driven by businesses not offering that but yeah. as you've said a lot by people just not wanting that anymore so I, th- I, f- I feel like it also makes it a challenge as a parent in terms of how to guide your kid in <laughs> the skill sets that yeah. they're going to build yeah. and what they do after they leave school so yeah. has this sort of crossed your mind or like what's your philosophy on how to prepare your kids for wow being so this is a whole nother podcast I know <laughs> <laughs> I am totally into this. Oh, good. Yes. So so my son is about to start in September um, secondary school. So we've yeah. been going around a lot of schools. Um, and I've been saying to them, you know, how are you preparing these children? Because in the UK, you know, you go to a good school, you get good A-levels, which is what you would do when you were 18. You go to university. I'm like, but the big shift in the UK is you now have to pay for university. It's so, so people are coming out in the with, UK. Sorry? It's so expensive in the UK. Is it compared to Canada? Uh, Canada, I think it's about, it's about $5,000 a year in Canada. The US, I oh, right. think, and the UK are pretty similar for how expensive right. they are. Yeah. So they're saying the statistics are that as a graduate of a three-year program in the UK, you come out with like £50,000 debt. Ugh. So I'm thinking, well, do I want my children to do that? Is that the right route for them? So I'm questioning schools and saying, so what other opportunities are there? Um, what are the subjects are you going to be offering offering them? Even sort of what trips are you doing? Like, I'd lo- why aren't you going to the Google campus and finding out what they're thinking about? Or, you know, to California to think about tech entrepreneurs. And they look at me blankly and go, well, we're going to Washington for our politics trip. <laughs> Which has a has a place, but beyond that, like, what's the new thinking? Like, we went to Washington on a politics trip like thirty years ago. Yeah. So I I massively agree with you. I think in the UK schools are not ready for this challenge. It's it's starting to be a big debate, um, and I think to equip my children, I guess they're they're lucky in some ways because both of their parents are entrepreneurs, so there is a different route. But I still. I don't feel confident saying, yeah, go to university or, or no, don't go to university. But certainly trying more things and being okay with maybe failing or maybe going to university later when you're really sure that's what you want to do before mm-hmm. you saddle yourself with all that debt rather than just thinking, oh, it's just what everybody does. I think being more choiceful, I suppose. But I don't think schools are, I think they're starting to wake up to it, but I certainly haven't been anywhere yet where they've started talking about you know the fact that these kids are going to graduate and the the jobs that we have now are not going to be the jobs of the future and the jobs of the future we don't even know what they are yet yeah well and just that a a degree doesn't guarantee you anything anymore no like no no why would you do that and have so much debt at the end well and like you're saying the number of kids that go to school like that don't know what they want to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I took two years off and went to school and still didn't know what I wanted to do. No, no, no. But then I think a lot more people are probably going into university and maybe having a little kind of side project of a website that they're running or a course that they're interested in or product that they're making maybe. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that will kind of help this kind of portfolio approach is starting earlier as well. So do you look at sort of different things that you guys can do as a family outside of school to sort of give them different skill sets or? Gosh. Um, like team sports, I'm, I'm, well, I know <laughs> you guys are big sports folks, but like, I mean, that, <laughs> that yes. gives you a certain skill set. Yes, yes. I think it's the breadth, isn't it? So not to get stuck in sports. Yeah. So my daughter goes to Cubs. I don't know if you have this, like scouts. Yep. yep. So slightly younger ones. And I think that's great because they are learning lots of different things. It's really outdoors focused, which is lovely, mm-hmm. but quite different to what you learn at school and what you learn playing a sport um, or learning a musical instrument. That's another kind of 
skill set doing something differently mm-hmm. or we'll try like I will try and do more trips because schools aren't just aren't doing that anymore yeah getting outside of the classroom so we went to the Tower of London last week that's you know amazing to yeah. bring history alive for them so I think it probably is that breadth of experience mm-hmm. and then particularly for my daughter I am just constantly girls can do anything yeah. <laughs> don't let anyone tell you otherwise she's only nine poor girl yeah. um, but you know books about women who've ruled the world and done amazing things because you, I, I really believe you've got to talk about that early and and in the same way I tell my son girls can do anything yeah. and this is the way that we should respect girls and we're all equal you know gender or religion or sexuality or whatever I think starting at this age is the only way to make that to help them become more kind of accepting and well-rounded yeah yeah that was one thing I was not prepared for as a parent I, I definitely thought about if I had a girl how you prepare them to you know girls can do anything but then it was oh but I'm having a boy how do I ensure he's a feminist how do I ensure he believes like even harder in some ways well Mm. it's just you kind of think I didn't I'm not sure how to do this other than sort of just giving it a go (laughs) like yes yeah yeah and it's I think it's raising it on your consciousness to just have a few extra conversations. And it's not a big thing, is it? It's just bringing it into the everyday or just pointing a few things out. Isn't it amazing that we have a UK female prime minister is what I say to my daughter and my son. Because, you know, in some countries, you couldn't even be prime minister if you're a woman. Really? And they're like questioning that, which is brilliant. Yeah. But unless I talk to them about it, then they, how are they going to know? Of course they don't know. That's, you know, their little worlds, which is great. You want to keep them in that bubble, but with a little bit of other realities in there. Well, and the same thing with race and privilege. Like I remember someone Mm -hmm. saying, isn't it interesting, like that uh, plasters or band-aids are skin colored, but they're skin colored for me. Ah, yeah. And I never thought about that before because I'm coming from that. Yeah. Privilege. privilege yeah 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 no absolutely yeah. yeah I think that's really important so okay so we're gonna r- wrap up with the five questions that I ask all of my interviewees what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up in a good way it sounds like scrubbingtons can be part of that is there anything else yes um I think it's the things where I get to do new like new things I've been in marketing for a long time and it's certainly not the same but where I get to learn, I think, is where I feel like I'm kind of making the most progress or where I get to help other people learn. So yeah. sometimes I'll run a workshop for a client and think, oh, wow, I actually do know what I'm talking about. And they did really respond well to that. And where they got to at the end of two days was amazing. Yeah. Um, and that real sense of achievement you get from being part of a team and really helping people to kind of fulfill themselves and reach their potential I think that's really exciting um and then every time we kind of have a small or a large win on Scrubbington so it can be that we get listed in a massive retailer like Boots which is amazing or it can be just sometimes like people give us a five-star review on Facebook or some really nice reviews on Amazon and that's really lovely and I sort of then having appreciated that so much as a small business owner try and do that now much more than I ever did for other small businesses because it's that's kind of what keeps you going in the dark days that there are people out there who who get what you're doing and really appreciate it I feel the same whether it's podcast reviews or book reviews or whatnot I think the same thing it's like you don't realize how important it is until you're on the receiving end of it absolutely yeah no 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 it's really it's really lovely you know I've I've had letters from children who've written like with stickers all over them pictures and amazing yeah they're all up in our office because that's kind of reminding you why you do it because yeah. sometimes you get a bit lost um in the day-to-day and actually oh yeah what we set out to do is actually you know it is helping people and children are appreciating it and that's amazing do they address them to the professor yes you do. <laughs> <laughs> i love it i don't want to disillusion them that it's me <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah <laughs> So yes. do you have a favorite book or sort of 
whether it's, you know, business or fiction or anything that's inspired you in terms of reading? So my ability <laughs> to do any reading has slightly diminished in the last probably 10 years yeah. since I had children. So I would not say I was a regular reader. Um, but I think actually the book that's probably inspired me is a book sort of to our previous theme that I've been reading my daughter. And I think it's called something like um, Rebel Stories for Rebel Girls or something like that. Oh, cute. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it is about taking, I think it's, it's about 50 stories. They're like a page long and really short, beautifully illustrated um, of women who have done great things. So from kind of Rosa Park to Hillary Clinton, you know, right from down back to kind of amazing Egyptian kind of queens who've ruled the Egyptian world yeah. and what they've done and why that's empowering and exciting and interesting for children. And my daughter loved the story of like Coco Chanel yeah. and just stories that of women that I, I wouldn't even, you know, think about. You think of Emily Pankhurst, but some of the other women that really kind of inspired her imagination and she really enjoyed the book so i've i've recommended that to a lot of people parents of boys and girls yeah i'm just looking at it online right now that looks incredible because i know um chelsea clinton's just come out has a book oh, yeah. and is coming out with a second one on um uh i think it's called she persisted women who have changed the world okay but it's definitely okay. not a hundred of them so this definitely looks really interesting yeah yeah and it's it's just it's very accessible to younger children. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? I guess not really a quote, but I always live by to have no regrets. Yeah. So I'd always rather try something and fail than regret not having had a go. So I think I'm a big kind of gung-ho let's just try let's just get on with it and that's not always a good idea there's sometimes a bit of a bull in a china shop yeah but I'm like just I kind of just throw myself into things like Scrubbington's has turned into this kind of amazing business without that ever really being the plan because we're just yeah. like well let's just try because I'm not a big kind of thinker I don't have I kind of don't overthink things I think all right well we'll give it a go see what happens yeah and I think you can only do that if you're not going to regret doing that. Yeah. I would rather regret kind of having done something rather than not. Well, and such a great lesson to teach your kids. Yeah, yeah, particularly girls, I think. I find, I don't know, some, I'm, you're kind of trying to raise a, I, I, would say, I always say I'm trying to raise a strong girl and a sensitive boy because that's kind of yeah. almost against nature in, in some respects. Yeah. Um, and just getting on with stuff and just having a go. We were sledging this weekend. We had snow in the UK, which is yeah. fairly rare in our part of um, in our part of the world. Um, you know, some of the girls are at the top of the slope going, oh, I don't want to do it. And, you know, my daughter's just sailing down there, crashing into the <laughs> hedges at the bottom. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you because just give it a go. Yeah. Because what's the worst that can happen? You're going to crash into the hedge. Well, it's fine. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to do that. Yeah. And just get get on with things so what is the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given I think the best life lesson is for me is trust your instinct I think I've been led both within marketing and in my own life about what I feel is right I'm quite a feelings person and usually I have an instinct and I have I always talk about kind of heart and head so my head's saying this but my heart's saying something else and when do you listen to your heart and when do you listen to your head to kind of help you make some of those harder decisions mm -hmm. but what's been really liberating about running my own business is I can trust my own instinct it's hard in someone else's business with lots of data and lots of other opinions to do that yeah but actually running my own thing I'm like well that's kind of all I've got so instinct I think this is right so let's try yeah. let's give it a go and we always course correct later but I think you know if you're feeling uncomfortable about a situation that's what I say to my children you know trust yourself if you don't feel comfortable with that situation or what somebody's saying to you or somebody else at school then that's probably real and you should you know you should do something about that or think about it or come and tell somebody because I think that sort of quite visceral 
feeling that you can get is, is often quite a good indicator of what's actually going on. Yeah. So really try to kind of trust my instinct. And it's not always been right, but I find it very hard to go against it. So yeah. my husband will kind of talk me into things like parenting or, you know, that I think, oh, I'm not really comfortable with this, but okay. And then I find it really hard to actually make it happen because yeah. I haven't really believed in it in the first place. Yeah. In parenting? So frustrating for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's where most of our yep. arguments are. Oh, sorry, about like parenting concepts and stuff. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. Yes. So, yeah, and it's funny because that circles back to the back yourself, right? Yes. Trust yeah, yourself and back yourself. And yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. So, Emma, final question. What does it mean to you to live your best life? This is a really hard question. I, I know. It's been interesting, the different answers I've gotten. Okay, okay. Um, I think my best life now is one where things feel in balance mm -hmm. because there's so much going on. So when I can drop the kids to school and work and kind of tick things off the list and move the business forward and kind of keep in touch with my friends and kind of juggle everything. Um, I think that's where I feel like, okay, this is what I wanted my life to be. And this is going really well. And I'm certainly not saying that those days happen all the time. But where I've managed to kind of create that, that balance, I think that's my best life. Because like there's you're pulled in so many directions, aren't you as a as a parent and as a daughter and as a wife and as a friend, when I can kind of give and get back from all of those different relationships and all of those different things that I do, then that's the most exciting and the most empowering for me. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. So nice to speak to you. Thanks, Victoria.